Okay, back here again at the Stephen Sully study at my second home, Woodbury House. I've got a really, really cool guest in front of me. Um, recently, I've interviewed a lot of um, a lot of artists because we obviously promote street art as a business. Um, but I try and interview as many fighters as I can. The reason being is because, one, I absolutely love sport. I love combat sport. I've done a bit of tire boxing, but my, my, my main, I wouldn't call it profession, but the thing I go to most is, is boxing. But I've always said to people that, and this is going to be a bit of advice for my son when he grows up. He's only going to be turning three in November, so he's a little bit too young at the moment. The two skills I would like him to learn is boxing or some kind of combat sport, but I think boxing is probably the easiest one to take to, and I'll get your take on it in a moment. And then also sales, because I think that if you can deal with rejection, if you can deal with uh, people attacking you and you can become composed, you're methodical and you're, you keep your emotions intact and you can come back with a strategy, whether that's in sales or whether that's in boxing or some kind of combat sport, I think that will help you in later on in life. Um, so anyway, I've got a professional frightener in front of me. She goes by the name of the Burmese Python, Nicola. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for coming on board. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Um, got to give the nudge. Hey. That's <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about you and let's talk about your career. Um, off air, I just said to you that um, I've noticed that you're, you've transitioned over into the boxing world because your your background is actually in multiple different arts yeah kickboxing um i know you see you've done a little bit of tie boxing t- taekwondo is that right yeah taekwondo. And, the, and there's another art in there which i don't want to pronounce but left way okay boxing so talk to me about that then because i've never heard of that before what 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 is how is that form of like combat sport different to let's say your tie boxing yeah so burmese boxing is sort of it's more casual name but left is sort of a very traditional martial art um, that originates in Burma, hence Burmese boxing. And the rule set is slightly different, a little bit more brutal and raw. So it's punches, kicks, knees, elbows, <clears throat> headbutts, and with no gloves. No um, gloves. Yeah. Oh, bare so knuckle. It's bare knuckle boxing. Yeah, it is. And it allows you to do throws, um, but you're not allowed to attack the opponent on the floor. So that would be the differentiation between, say, one of your grappling sports like MMA. Um, and the rule set has become a little bit more westernized. Okay. So traditionally, <laughs> when you fought Lethway, it would just go, go on until an opponent gave up or they were completely knocked out. There weren't, you know, five three-minute rounds or ten rounds. It would literally go on until someone said, I'm not fighting anymore, or Be- they were knocked out. Because, like, back in the day, before UFC became the big brand it is today, you know, very, very corporate, and, you know, a lot of people recognise it as, you know, the, the elite kind of MMA sort of organisation. Am I right in saying that MMA had no rules? And it was, you would fight until someone either got knocked out, seriously hurt. Yeah, I believe so. Gave up. Sometimes, in some cases, you know, people actually died. Um and I think there was no gloves at that point. I think you should be able to gouge people's eyes. I don't think there was any 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 rules. I think you could do what you wanted. And then over time to commercialise it and to make it a bit more safe and a bit more controlled, they introduced the gloves, they introduced the, the rounds and stuff. But but still, it was a very, very hard sport. And tie boxing, because I've done a little bit of tie boxing. Yeah. Obviously, there's the gloves. You've got quite small gloves. Um, you can knee, you can kick, you can do flying knees, you can do su- Superman punches, which I... Always loved and tried to pull off, but could never quite execute it. But 
what I liked about it, you could grapple and then chuck to the floor. But just like the Burmese style, you couldn't attack them on the floor. Yeah. So quite quite similar to that. Similar to that. So the only thing is, is once they've fallen on the floor, say you've swept them and put your opponent on the floor, you are allowed to then land, say, one shot. Um, so you're allowed to sort of maybe do like a, a drop knee onto their face if they're on the floor, but then oh. you're not allowed to continue to do like ground and pound. But you can do standing chokes and standing locks. Yeah. Um, so there just feels like there's so much more to think about. Okay. Um, and especially the headbutts add like a really different dynamic to it as well. Mm-hmm. Because you probably appreciate being in Muay Thai when you get so close you, for the elbows, you think like, oh, I'm like really close. But then to start throwing things like a headbutt and then that, like, you know, how do I block that? Even just developing the skill to land it in the first place. Um, because there is a lot more technique. I know it sounds like a, a pub tactic, <laughs> you know, the art of the flying headbutt. Um, but actually you'd practice it the same way that you would for, say, like a punch or a kick. You'd still do it on a pad. Um, a headbutt, yeah? Yeah. Really? You know, like as if you were doing like jab, cross, hook, you'd just headbutt the pad instead. Um which is quite funny, but, you know, you get used to it and it's sort of the little differences of, you know, gritting your teeth and making sure that you know where what part of the head you're using and where the target area is. So, I mean, it's still quite brutal, but there are sort of technicalities behind it. I mean, you must do some serious damage to your opponent. If you catch them with a headbutt on the square of their nose or on their cheekbone, I mean, you are folding that person in half, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Have you ever pulled it off? I mean, I've tried some headbutts uh, in my left way fight, but can't say they were as devastating as I was hoping them to be. But you know, it's nice to be able to at least have the opportunity to throw it. I want to. I want to slightly pivot pivot off the this this slight conversation on you, and then bring it back to you because I'm I'm always quite interested to take get a, a fighter's take on the landscape of fighting and combat sports and boxing and MMA right now in the commercial domain. Yeah. So what I mean is, I know historically there has been a few uh, fighters that have transitioned from boxing to one sport to another, and it. But I don't think it was as publicised as it is now. That's probably because social media wasn't really around. That's probably because not many people done it. It wasn't really glorified as it is today. But ever since Mayweather fought Conor McGregor. I just feel like it's opened up the gates for people to do that cross-pollination. I mean, you've got right now uh, Tyrone Woodley about to fight Jake Paul. Um, you had Anderson Silva fight uh, Chavez, the, the ex-world champion yeah. boxer, who um, his dad was obviously undisputed champion Mexican fighter. Um, there's... You obviously had Logan Paul fighting uh, Floyd Mayweather in an exhibition fight, and there's 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 there's, there's a lot in the pipeline. It seems is you know it, it seems to be. I know a lot of fighters are kind of torn between it, whether that is right, whether it's wrong, whether it's exciting, whether it's damaging the sport. I wanted your take on it. I wanted to see, like, as a fighter, someone who's given your kind of life so far to the sport of combat and bettering yourself and dedicating yourself, do you think that actually hinders the sport or do you think it heightens it to a new dem- demographic? I think that's a really tough question to ask, but if I take a step back and really look at the bigger picture and think about martial arts as a whole, all fighters want to make a living and a career out of their martial art. Um, a lot of the reason why martial artists <clears throat> you know, move between, say, taekwondo to kickboxing to, to professional boxing or to 
you know, MMA so that they can compete on bigger platforms is so that they can make a career out of what they love. So it is, you know, as a fighter, as you say, it is disheartening when you, you know, you see bigger fights, which are a bit more commercial, you know, they're not exactly trained athletes, but actually they're bringing the attention and the crowds. And that's sort of where the money is to build the foundation for the sport. Mm. So it's almost a little bit bittersweet, but I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, so I've done a podcast last year. I think it was last year, maybe even a year before now. This is way before the Logan, uh, the Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul uh, fight took place. It was up, It was like sort of casually announced in the background on social media and then it kind of fizzled out and then it reappeared and yeah. they had one day that it got postponed and it you know, and then it finally happened. And I actually done a solo podcast on it. So I wasn't interviewing, I just, my, my own take. And in any other sport, let's just say, I don't know, tennis, or let's just say football, or I don't know, golf. Um, you get, you know, you, you have a career and typically at the end of it, you start tapering off and then you earn less money. And then, and then basically you need to use that money in your profile to go on and invest it and put yourself in a position where you can continue earning more money yeah. or certainly earn enough money where you don't have to work again. Now, we all know, you know, athletes, most of them earn a huge amount of money if they're at the top of their game, but most of them, sadly, statistically, they actually lose that money and then they turn to mental health issues, drugs, uh, drinking. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it can be a really sorry story. And there's so many to talk about. Um, you know, the Mike Tyson, he had 400 million at one stage and it went to nothing. And thankfully he's bouncing back. And there's, there's even been some athletes that actually committed suicide, which is terrible. But what I like about now is at the end of their career, they can now transition into like exhibition fights where they can actually, actually make far much more money with actually less risk. Yeah. So we wouldn't ridicule if, let's say, the Brazilian Ronaldo came out today and said, right, I'm going to play in an exhibition uh, football match against Barcelona today. It's only exhibition, it's not serious, and I'm going to get paid £10 million for it. People are like, yeah, I want to go and see that. But the moment someone like Floyd Mayweather said, I'm going to come out and fight Logan Paul and I'm going to report it, I'm, I'm going to earn anything between, let's call it 50 to $100 million, people were slating him saying, you're, you're ruining your, your reputation, you're ruining your legacy. But, but for me, as you just said, it's it's their job it's their career it's their craft and yeah you want to do it for to build your brand you want to do it to push yourself you want to do it for the sport but at the end of the day as Floyd Mayweather said legacy doesn't put food on the table for your kids it's the money yeah totally so, so I just wanted to see what your take on it was because I have asked the same question to like boxers and different athletes and there is mixed opinions and I don't think one of them's right or wrong I'm just quite curious yeah so yeah I just wanted to float that to to you no, and I think it's a really valid question because then if you if you do think about the bigger picture and once you've finished fighting or completing at such an elite level, like, what is next? You know, there isn't any additional preparation. You know, there's so much that goes into all of your fights and building yourself and, you know, getting to the, getting to the place where, you know, you're like undisputed world champion, but no one helps prepare you for, okay, well, like, what do I do once I want to retire? Because the age of an athlete you know, it's not, it doesn't take you to the same age as, say, a project manager at a finance company, you know, where you can literally stay in that role until you retire. It's actually, you're still quite young. And, like, where does this leave me now? 
Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think it's it is a good thing. Yeah. But so part of the reason why I've asked this question is I wanted to bring it back to you because as we I've I've identified that you've 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 ticked a lot of the boxes in combat sports. Yeah. Um, now you transitioned into into boxing. Was that kind of always the plan or has the environment, the landscape of like combat sports kind of motivated you and inspired you to cross-pollinate your, your skill set? So for me, fighting's always been about learning and I've just absolutely loved every single part of martial arts. Um, and I think as a kid, I just wanted to always be like the ultimate ninja. <laughs> um, and sort of to be able to get world titles in different sports, that was sort of my... My goal as a kid is, okay, how far can I get if I completely immerse myself into Taekwondo? And then I got a world title and I was like, oh, fantastic, but what's next? And it's once I've mastered a sport, that for me is when it was time to move on. When I was younger, I hadn't really contemplated boxing. It was during the lockdown, actually, I had a knee injury during a Thai boxing session. Okay. Someone went to sweep me. But instead of sweeping me, trod on my foot and actually just sort of ripped my knee out of its socket. So I sort of tore my ACL, MCL hamstring. And during that recovery period where I wasn't able to do anything, the only thing I could do was actually like boxing sitting down. Yeah. And that's when I started first sort of dabbling into the world of boxing. And there was a local boxer in Luton, Linus, who I was training with. And he was... <laughs> Bless him, I was sat down and he was just doing pads with me. Mm. And then when I was able to sort of walk with the brace, we were sort of doing it standing up. And then I went down to the gym and it sort of just developed from there. Yeah. But even at the coach at the time was like, oh, Nick, do you want to turn over to professional boxing? And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, appreciate it. I'm going to stick to kickboxing. Um, and then about four months later, I was like, is that offer still there? Yeah. <laughs> Quite fancy changing over to professional boxing now. Yeah. Um, and that's how it came about. So you mentioned um, when you were younger, you wanted to be, inverted commas, like a ninja. And I actually had a um, female boxer, which the podcast isn't out as of yet. It's coming out in about three or four weeks' time. Roxana Begum. She was signed with David Hay. She was actually a kickboxing yeah, champion at one stage. I recognise her name. She actually uh, is an author called uh, Born Fighter. I think there's a documentary being developed of her at the moment. She's a really, really, really fantastic girl. And anyway, she said to me when she was younger, what really inspired her was seeing Bruce Lee. She wanted to be like very much like Bruce Lee. And, you know, and I've got to be honest, when I was younger, I used to see him up on the TV all the time. And I was like, that, like one of the coolest guys in the world, like who wouldn't want to be someone like a Bruce Lee type figure? Um, was, was, that, was that like a figure for you or was it just... Was there anyone that when you was a kid like really inspired you to become a combat kind of martial artist? No, not at all. My first sort of move into martial arts was actually my my mum, when I was younger, just wanted me to be like the typical girl. <coughs> and actually, I ended up doing ballet for about 15, 16 years before I actually had the confidence to say like, mum, I'm really <laughs> bad at ballet and I don't really enjoy it. And to me, it was like, I would just want to be good at something. I've always just been quite optimistic that my logic at the time is if I'm bad at ballet, maybe I'll be good at like the complete opposite. And that's when I first moved into Taekwondo and started my martial arts journey there. And then the minute I started, I was like, wow. And that's the thought of, I just want to be a ninja of like all martial arts. Like, this is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, quest a bit of a, bit of a tough question, but I think, 
I'm 35 years of age and I've certainly seen the landscape of definitely boxing change over the years. I'll give you an example. When I started training as an amateur back in two, well, when I was 14 years of age, I was boxing down a club called Bromley and Downham called, uh, and it was also a youth centre. So there was a amateur gym and there was also a youth centre attached yeah. to it. And I was there for about four years and then I came away from boxing for a little bit. Um, I actually had a motorbike accident as well in 2005, I think it was, where I split my kidney open and I was um, in bed for like a month. And anyway, I decided when I was going to get, when I was get, getting better, I thought, right, I want to get back into, you know, health and, and the thing that I'm gravitated towards the most is boxing. So I went to a club called Kettles. I started boxing now. I realised that Kettles was mostly Muay Thai. So I actually got persuaded to to do Muay Thai and then I stuck stuck at that for like three years. I never fought though. I'd just done the sparring and everything else. Yeah. And then um, I decided I'd prefer boxing. So I went back to boxing. I had three fights for Kettles and then I went into the, the Queens, Queensbury League. Anyway, I went back to Bromley and Downham, I think must have been about three, four years ago since being a kid. And the thing I noticed straight away, as I walked through those doors, there were females and they were training. Because when I was younger, there was not one single female in that in that gym. And what I like about it is, I think back then, certainly like my dad's era, it was like, yeah, like it's only, it's yeah. only, it's like geezers, it's a male sport. And com- the conversation of females in boxing just didn't even exist, let yeah. alone contemplating that they were going to be a part of the sport and I, now I think it's really healthy because I feel that I feel that boxing or combat sports but I'm going to be a bit biased to say boxing should be driven back into schools um, part of the reason why I think that is because I think it gives you discipline it gives you respect for each other I think in this country there's a big problem with gangs and knife crime and stuff and stabbings we see it all the time and I'm not saying boxing is going to eradicate it but I think that it gives you a certain amount of respect for each other, like another human. But I think before it was so malorientated that I feel, I feel like the governments or councils or schools found it very, very difficult how to integrate it with the schools and share it with every single person. But now it's becoming a lot more common that more and more females are coming through. And now you've got great world champions like Katie Price, um, Katie Price? Katie, Katie Taylor. Katie, Katie Taylor. I don't know why I said Katie Price. Maybe she's the champion of Playboy. <laughs> um, uh, and then you've got Shannon Courtney. Um, and obviously you've got a few others coming coming through. And I think right now the, 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 the foundations for anybody, whether you're female or male, is definitely there. And you can learn it and you can develop and you can actually be welcomed in, into the craft. So... Go, going to you then, I'm not too sure, sure how old you are, but how how have you seen the la- sort of landscape of combat sports for females change over the years? And was you ever, did you ever feel like pressured not to do it because you are a female? I wouldn't say I've ever felt pressured not to do it because I'm a female. Yeah. Um, the thing I probably noticed the most is that, well, going through it and sort of learning along the way is just males feel... Less in, this is like hugely generalizing, but from like the large majority, males just don't really want to spar a female. Well, not even spar, but like they don't even want to do pad work or bag work. You know, they just don't want to be your partner for training because I don't know. It's like this preconception, like oh, she won't be able to hold pads, or you know, if I do sparring with her, even if it's just body sparring, you know, it's not going to be beneficial to me. 
um, or I can't hit a girl and sort of it's those sort of preconceptions that made it difficult moving through and it's definitely got a lot easier because you know especially from sparring I'd still spar a guy the same way I'd spar anyone and then once the hard shots landed you almost see it in their face you know something just changes and you just know that they're going to fight you properly now but it, it, you know it always takes something to get there it isn't just touch gloves and it'll be like a normal spar it's almost like I have to just wait and see um before that move is made I think with martial arts when I was in sort of taekwondo that had a bit more mix and variety in terms of the female male split but moving into sort of the fuller contact martial arts like kickboxing Thai boxing pure boxing yes there's females coming through which is fantastic um but still there aren't that many but I think, as you say, moving it into schools is like a really great idea. And I don't think, you know, if it's boxing or kickboxing, I think practically boxing is probably easier to keep, teach kids in school. Mm. Um, but just having that foundation and even just planting the seed, especially for younger females, that actually, you know, there are female role models out there now. Whereas before when you looked, you know, if you're a, a young girl in school and you looked up to be like, OK, so who is a female boxer? I mean, yeah. a lot of people would struggle to name someone. Yeah. Whereas now there's so many coming through, you know, it just inspires them to be like, oh, hang on. Like, that could be me, you know, because initially, like, that thought that wasn't even in their mind mm. because it is such a preconception that it is, you know, very male dominated. I've got to be honest, like, again, like, when I when I went to Kettles, there was a girl there called uh, Benice. You might be yeah. familiar with her. She yes. was, um, I think she was Thai boxing world champion. She's yeah. moved into MMA, I think. MMA, yeah. and she's been competing. And I'll tell you what, she was must mustard, like good, good fighter. But I was asked to spar her once. And this was going back many years. And I think I did think to myself, I can't, I can't fight, fight a female. And then again, the moment she hit me and I felt, <laughs> I felt, I felt the force. I was like, all oh, right, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just in here with a girl. I'm in here with an elite fighter, and it does change the things. But I think it's that stereotypical thing which a lot of people, certainly my age, have been conditioned with, you know. But again, now it's great to see that when you go into most gyms now, there's a diverse range between you know females, males, young, old, you know, all different yeah. kind kind of backgrounds, and I think that's healthy. And I think what I love about I'm going back always on boxing because that's kind of my thing, but it's that family, you know, it's that it's that network. And even though violence is a part of boxing or any combat sport, the environment isn't violent, you know, it's yeah. it's controlled. It's 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 you look after each other. Yeah, people I don't know, I think when they look at a fight, they just think it's sort of two untrained people just uh, you know, they just want to have a brawl and they just want to have a punch up. And they forget how much more goes into it and actually sort of the type of people that end up fighting, you know, that they're so disciplined, they have to sort of persevere through incredibly hard sessions. You know, their mindset has to be on point, their diet has to be on point. Emotionally, you have to be in charge and in check of everything that it's you know, it's so much more than just people turning up to fight. Yeah. And it's like very cerebral. I'm sure, you know, like the the higher you climb within any martial art, the more cerebral it becomes because, you know, our weapons set, weapons set. Um, of using you know your limbs and you know it becomes very close so actually the thing that ends up separating you is like okay you know can I predict what you're going to do next can I see where your openings are 
So it's far more technical than people, you know, sometimes sometimes feel it is when they're watching. Yeah. And also there's, there's, there's definitely stereotypes still now. And I think it's phasing out as as the, the years go on. I mean, again, re- referencing my dad, my, my dad gets ridiculed on these podcasts because I always, I always talk about, he's a great guy. <laughs> Love but, dad. But, 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 <laughs> but he's the old school, you know, he's like, geezer goes down down the calf, has a throw up, this is really good for you. He's just got so old way of think, thinking, but he's he is who he is. And, you know, if I were to say to him, you know, back in the day, you know, tell me that like, a profile of a of, of a fighter, he'll go Mike Tyson. You know, you know someone who's big. You know, someone who's really really powerful. Someone who's got a big neck and just like an evil kind of person. And then if I would say like a, a female, it'd be like, no, 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 there's no female fighters. And if they are, they're massive and they, you know they're basically like fellas. And all I was going to say to you is, you don't look like this ter- typical stereo stereotype fighter. But then when I look at Shannon Courtney or I look at any of these other fighters. They're like great females. They've got everything intact. They're good looking. They're beautiful. But then the moment they get into this ring, they turn into these absolute warriors and these elite fighters. So, yeah, I mean, you're 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 taking that. I mean, do you think the stereotype has been has been is now eradicated, or do you still think it's there? People still think that if you're a fighter, you're this type of person and you're in this box. And I, you know, what I'm trying to get to is, I think. Accountants, I think people in finance, as you mentioned earlier, I think people from different countries, they're all coming together now and they all can turn into this like elite fight if they want to. Yeah, I think it's really cliche, but I genuinely believe like you can be anything that you want to do or be like as long as you put the hard work in. And I do think like the stereotype is still there because the common question I'm always asked is, oh, but you don't look like a fighter. Mm. But then like, what do you think a fighter looks like, you know? If like if you don't constantly walk around in like boxing shorts and gloves and with your hair sort of plaited, does that mean that you can't fight? But I quite like it, you know. Um, it's understated. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's nice that there's so many other, you know, females coming through that genuinely, you know, are just being themselves. And actually, I respect that a lot. You know, they don't feel like they need to fit into a stereotype or look the certain part. They're just proud to be who they are outside the ring, but also an equal warrior inside the ring. Let's talk about your accolades and your successes then. So you've had all these multiple different uh, combat sports that you've been very successful in. Um, can you go through all of them and tell me like the titles and the world titles and the the, 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 the things that you've won and um, what started first and how did you overlap to the, to the others? Yeah, so I first started in Taekwondo um, and became a black belt fought through that, fought at the World Championships over in Canada and won that. And that, you know what, I look back at the Taekwondo World Championships and I didn't let my mum come with me. She was like my only supporter then um, because I had a cracked rib and a fractured foot and I was so convinced in my mind that I was going to lose and I was just happy to even just get one round out that I didn't mind. So I was like, don't waste money on a ticket. Honestly, like, like I'm injured. I'm so injured. I shouldn't be doing this. And then I ended up winning it by like some absolute miracle. I remember calling my mum and being like, I can't believe I've just won the world championships Mm -hmm. with all these injuries. And, you know, she was so happy, but she was also really upset that she wasn't there. Um, And that felt like sort of the pinnacle within Taekwondo for me. So then I tried out for, I think at the time it was the Rio 2016 Taekwondo Olympics. But I'd fractured my foot again gone to the trials, got down to the final 15, and then the bone, during one of our sparring sessions, the bone in my foot just came through my foot. 
Oh. Um, and I was written off due to injury. So that <laughs> took a good long while to recover. And then I felt that I was sort of done with Taekwondo and sort of that was the end of that path. But that wasn't sort of the end of martial arts. And that's when I first transitioned over to kickboxing. Um, and then, yeah, so I won a British title in kickboxing K1. So that allows sort of knees to the face as well. Um, and got the UK number one spot. And then had a couple of Thai boxing Muay Thai fights. And then I had a call from the team in Burma to say, we know you're the Burmese Python. How about you come home? and fight lethway rules so i was like okay like give me a year to like get used to fighting without gloves and learning this whole new rule set so how, how do you how do you spar without because you're going to go into a fight with no gloves but do you spar with no gloves no so i'd spar with the smaller gloves and if we were practicing headbutts it would sort of i would never throw them at my opponent so i just put both my hands on top and like headbutt my own hands just for sort of the accuracy um, but the only training that I did without gloves was on the pads, on the bag work, press ups on your knuckles, on the backs of your hands, because the dynamic is so different. You know, you go from having to pivot your fist over to now punching someone's chin. You don't really want to bruise your knuckles anymore that you end up sort of punching very straight on. Okay. Um, or sort of catching, you know, if your wrist isn't strong, you end up sort of bending your wrist and yeah. things like that. Um, so yeah, the training for the Lethway was very different and I rank world number two for that. And then, yeah, now is the beginning of the professional boxing journey. And uh, so I wanted to ask you, how, how old are you now? I am 27. So you're, you know, still young. Um, with the boxing then, what is your ambition with that to get to world champion? Oh, absolutely. I think that's the same for any athlete. You know, if they're, if they're in it, they're there for it 110%. Yeah. And who are, you, um, who are you training with for boxing? Yeah, so I'm training with Terry Stewart over in Epping okay. at the moment. So a little bit further away from home. But that's sort of where I first started. And as you say, it's like very homely. Yeah. And it's nice to have that family feel. So just a little bit of experience, nowhere near your level. But from, from my take, when I, when I was done boxing, then I went to kettles and I started doing tie boxing. and went to back to boxing. Um I've always said the same thing that if you're in a street fight, not that I'm promoting it, but if you're in a, <laughs> if you are in a street fight, I think MMA, tire boxing, those kind of sports, they really help you out for the streets because I think it's a bit more, bit more like street fighting. Around the edges, you know. I think there's a lot more. You got to be aware of a lot more things in the street fight because there's no rules. But as far as as far as you know, like boxing's concerned i just think i just feel in my own opinion it's like the boxer is the better boxer out of all the combat sports 100 percent. you know and i think there's a bit more flair with, with the boxing and stuff um and when i've sparred when i went down to nemesis once i don't okay. know if you, you heard, yeah, heard that jim there was a guy there called black guy called his name escapes me um it'll come back to me later when i was sparring some of his guys who were like mma fighters I felt like they're very upright and you could you could you could catch them fairly easy. They're very tough people and very fit people, but you could catch them. So the question I wanted to ask you, having your background at such a high level and your condition to fight that way, would you say your successes 
are going to hinder you moving forward to boxing or do you think it's actually going to give you a better platform so you can build on top of that? So I think it's, it's sort of a mix of the both at the moment. I'd If I was going to choose one, I'd say it's given me like a really solid foundation. Like you're absolutely right. There's so much I've had to unlearn. And I don't know if you'll find this funny, but I find it quite comical is that to me, having done so many different disciplines, boxing in my mind is just any any punch um but actually to know that there's so many rules of being used to having like next to none has been you know quite quite interesting so as you say like no superman punches but when i first heard our oh, big shot uh, in the corner my thought was oh superman punch that's fine and until you hear like the big whistle like no you can't do that like categorically not um and things like a spinning back fist to mm-hmm. me like it's a punch but yeah. actually it's not a legitimate punch in boxing so there has been a lot to learn and to get used to but I think that's part of the excitement of moving into a new sport is that it's its own world <clears throat> you know I think like a good comparison is you know when people say like Spanish and Italian are like similar but actually like they're fundamentally like very different languages that's almost how the crossover feels at the moment so it feels like there's a solid base and, you know, the Muay Thai, the kickboxing gives you like a really good sort of grit um, and conditioning. And now it's just really perfecting the craft that is boxing and having all those different technical bits worked on. Yeah, because um, even with the boxing, you can have a quite a wide stance if you wanted to. And you, that, that allows you to get under and, you know, you can you can perform sort of different lateral movements, etc., but the downside to having that wide stance in a tar boxing or even an MMA scenario is you can get your, your legs sweet yeah. and you, you're thinking about that. So it must be nice in some respects thinking that if you have your leg out, it's not going to be hacked away or it's not going to be take, take, taken away from you. You, you. you can stand there fairly strong and, and know it's not going to be attacked. Yeah, and it's nice to know that when you're going to the body, for body shots especially, that you're not going to be kneed in the face. Yeah. Um, which has been like a bit of a dynamic to get used to or that when you know someone comes very close my mind is like oh they're gonna elbow me or you know they might headbutt me when actually it's like no they're not they're not gonna do either you're actually okay um so that's been quite nice as well so on that on that subject then what's your worst injury you've had because you mentioned about the, the 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 thing for your foot yeah you've just said there about it's nice not to be needing the face <laughs> you you don't even look like you've ever been needing the face I by by the way um what's some of the worst punishment you've taken as a fighter um in the ring during a fight so in my left way fight in like the first 30 seconds I dislocated my shoulder so I went to throw a spinning back elbow and my opponent punched my arm so like the combined force just popped it out of its socket I remember at the time thinking like oh my ego isn't that big that I'm gonna just be battered and I kept trying to pick up my arm and hook it on an ear just so I had some sort of coverage <laughs> and then I went back to my corner and my coach at the time oh he was brilliant um P he was like Nick this is the you know this is the art of like nine limbs look at you know you've got two legs you've got your other arm and I was like yes I do and went back and managed to win the fight but you know if it wasn't for him in the corner then I wouldn't have been like oh you know you just need someone else to have that perspective yeah so in the ring I'd say that was probably the worst um injury that I've had and then outside the worst you know what it was actually not sport related um 
But I'd probably say it was the mental side. I was in like a really severe life-threatening car crash as well. Really? And it was the PTSD that I had afterwards that I really, really struggled with. So I, I, I know what that is, but for the benefit of the guests, what, what is that? Yeah, so PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's sort of after a pretty terrible event that's happened, it sort of triggers you to almost be stuck in a bit of a black hole. And I think, you know, having never like really been depressed before or been so, op- you know, I've always just been very optimistic to be in a headspace where I genuinely didn't even want to do the sport that I absolutely loved, that I knew I loved. Like I just didn't even want to do one thing. I always just felt like, oh, this is like the worst place. You know, I'd never wish this on my worst enemy. And I never really had an appreciation for what that was like. And I'm, you know, was definitely guilty of saying like, oh, well, just smile, you know, like just choose to be happy. And I remember, you know, hearing my parents say that to me and being like, you know, I can smile. Yeah, but I just don't feel it. And it just felt something fundamentally a bit, a bit more deep um, that the body was trying to struggle with. Can I ask about the car crash? Yeah, of course. What, what, what happened? And so we were coming back. It was really late at night. We come back from everyone was singing in the car. I was sat in sort of the front passenger seat. Um, and it was hailing down. The roads sort of covered in water. There was a car that had already crashed on the side of the dual carriageway. And when we went to slow down to sort of move out of the lane, we aquaplaned, spun, hit that car. They went flying. And then we spun flipped and I went head on into a tree and had to climb out the window, pull out the boys. And then, yeah, that was the car accident. Wow. And were you, were you seriously injured? Yeah, well, thankfully, like, nothing was broken. Um, but, like, just lacerations everywhere, cuts, bruises. As you, as you said, couldn't sit up for, like, about a month. Wow. Like, everything was just in so much shock and trauma. Um yeah, and then the thing that I just really struggled with the most, and at the time I had this really bizarre dream, and there was like this open firing happening in, I don't know, in the street, and I was being shot at, and I'd be laying on the floor, and then the police and the ambulance would turn up, and I'd run over to them to be like, oh, I'm hurt, I'm hurt, and they'd look at me and be like, no, you're fine, and it was like once all of the wounds had healed up, like externally, mm. I looked fine, and like I knew that I was fine and I almost felt a bit guilty for even feeling bad because I was so grateful to even have, you know, life. Um, But actually inside, everything was still really broken and Mm. I didn't know how to fix it. How long was you in that state for, like the trauma? Uh, About nine months. And that was really hard because, you know, sometimes you just think like, oh, maybe there's a light there somewhere Mm. and I knew that I needed help and I just didn't know who could give me help yeah and went down the route of I'll I'll speak you know fine I'll speak to someone but I was quite confident already that they just wouldn't understand unless they'd been through exactly the same but what was reoccurring all the time was it just thinking back to like oh I I could have done more I should have done this or I should have done that or was it just something triggered in your mind and you were just in this like in this pattern of just feeling like the thought down so, and stuff. It was more so to do with the fact that I can get my hand my head round what was the point in living? Like if your life can just be taken away in a split second, 
what's the point in doing anything, you know? Mm. And like, obviously I knew that they weren't healthy thoughts, but like that was genuinely what's going through my head every day when I woke up is like, why does anyone even try to be like a good person or try their best or like leave a legacy or be a legend? Why? Because mm. it could just be taken away. And I knew that I should be thinking about the flip side. It's just like, that's exactly why you have to live every day like it's your last. Yeah. Um, but I think at the time I was just so stuck on just like, what is the point yeah and that was the rut that i couldn't get out of and again another sort of difficult question but just whilst we're on this difficult subject um at that point because i've had a few guests on here i mean as you could probably imagine in the art space the good the the thing about a lot of artists is the reason why they are very very good is because they've got a lot of emotion a lot of like trauma in, in their head and then when they put it onto canvas they come up with some magic it's the same thing when you're in a ring, probably. Um, and it's the paradox between, like, if they didn't feel the way they feel, would their art be as good? And if they sort of were in a better headspace, would they actually be the artist they are today? Who knows? No one really knows, understands that question. But I've, I've asked them a few times, like, when you were going through that, like, what was you doing? And a lot of them turned to drugs, a lot of them abusive relationships and etc some of them there was a few people on here who's tried to commit suicide a few times i mean did you ever think about that um not necessarily about committing suicide but it was just i just didn't want to do anything mm. i didn't even want to get out of bed i remember like blacking out my bedroom and it being pitch black and i just still didn't think it was dark enough um and it was just hard to do anything. And I just felt that I didn't even want to leave my room because I didn't want to have to keep faking that I was okay when I just didn't feel okay. Mm. You know, because it's really quite easy to put on a smile. Yeah. Um, but then everyone just thinks you're okay. And then it's like, oh, you know, I just don't even want to go into the story because then, no, you know, it just <clears throat> always came back to that. I just never felt like anyone understood it's a bit like the stereotypes we were speaking about because when we say about, I don't know, someone who's suffering with uh, anxiety, mental health issues, they're in a rut, even like drug addicts or alcoholics sometimes, you have this, like if I someone said to you, like, think about a, a drug addict or an alcoholic, either someone drinks out of a bag, they're on the streets, they're scrounging around for money. In actual fact, a lot of the time, they're probably actually quite successful people and they're nipping off at lunch and they're drinking lots and they're getting slightly you know out of their mindset to go into another world so they can deal with the reality of stuff and it's a kind of the same thing sometimes with people suffering from from anxiety or, or fear or, or something like that they on the face of it they look fine i was listening to steve bartlett who yeah. who um very successful entrepreneur yeah social chain he was the founder of that and he even said this morning that one of his in his in his peer group um guy who was a life of the party um, I think he was only 30 years of age. Laugh at the party, you know, someone that had a great aura about him, very confident, um, committed suicide. And he said it was just, he felt like it was out of the blue, but there was obviously hidden problems there. Um, are you saying that, that that was kind of like you? You was almost full of life, smile on your face, but really were hurt deep inside? Yeah, I'd say that's true. And that's why it was always really hard to articulate it to people because they'd be like, you're always so happy. And I was like, yeah, I know. And, you know, I've just always been grown up and maybe it's part of the conditioning of growing up and seeing it in my parents, you know, I don't know, like an argument might happen at the house and then you leave the house and everyone's got big smiles on their face and you sort of pretend that nothing's happened. 
And although that's, you know, it's a great skill to like be able to sort of chop and change between, actually you're never really addressing or sort of just checking in with how you feel that actually when it is something that's genuinely important, you sort of don't know how else to mm. to react. Yeah. Was you fighting at this point? No. No. Um, so moving moving on from that then, I mean, how did you get out of this kind of six, nine months, 12 months of kind of backwards and forwards with your inner chat almost? How did you, how did you get out of that? So it was almost just a blind belief. I remember having my nose broken in a fight once before and then never wanting to be punched in the face again. But I kept reminding myself that, like, remember how much you used to like it, you know, because once you've had your nose broken and then, you know, the doctors are like, oh, you can you can spar now. You're sort of like, but I don't want to spar because it might get broken again and you've still got that fear mm. and sort of that that trauma. But I just always remember, especially with my, having my nose broken, like, oh, like, you'll, you know, just keep turning up and, like, one day it will change. Like, you, you used to love sparring, you'll love it again. Um, and it was almost that blind belief that even if I just did, like, 0.01 thing um, or even just tried. Yeah that maybe I'd end up getting out of it. Um, and it just sort of developed from there. But I did end up speaking to sort of counsellors and therapists and went through a whole host of different ones because everyone I spoke to, I just felt like I almost did it with a bit of an eye roll, like knew that I needed help, didn't think anyone could help me, but was sort of going through the motions just to say I've checked the box, but probably didn't. Like, yeah, I've, I've tried that. It doesn't work. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, slowly, slowly ended up coming out of it. And I think that's what made my knee injury, in hindsight, just so easy to cope with when everyone's like, oh, my Lord, are you not stressed that you can't train? I yeah. was like, if this is it, like, yeah. we are fine. Like, this is cool. I can deal with this. This has got a definite end. We know what the process is. But when you're trying to recover from like mindset or like that mental trauma and there is no definite endpoint and there isn't like a specific pathway or steps you can follow and you don't know that you're always making progress in the right direction, injury was fine, mm. you know? Injury was so much easier to cope with. And um, how, how, how long ago was it when, um, when this, this sort of phase of your life happened? Last year. Oh, last year. Mm -hmm. It was even that soon. Yeah. Wow. So how how many how many months ago would you say you've kind of come out of like finished the recovery? Um. So I would say from yeah, maybe like December last year. Wow. So it's very very new. Very new. Yeah. Um. Would you say there's still an element of it beneath the surface, or would you say you completely completely eradicated all the all the fear now? Maybe a little bit every now and then I just notice it, but it's so much more manageable Yeah. now. Um, and I feel like I've got my own way to sort of deal with it and have like a mindset coach because I felt that everything I was doing from a mental perspective, you know, as a kid, we grow up and we have PE sessions, we have personal trainers and there's so much focus on physical exercise that when you're suddenly like, oh, okay, I need to sort my mind out. I'm like, who do I even go to? Like where, do, what do I even put into Google, you know? Because it, it's all, it feels a bit weird to type in like counsellor or therapist, you know. Mm. Um, it feels like it's got a bit of a stigma. So now working with a mindset coach, not for anything specific, 
but just similarly as you would use a personal trainer it's actually just having that regular touch point to make sure that it isn't a reactive thing you know I'm not like waiting till I get fat to be like oh okay now I need to start like doing physical exercise it's okay let's just always make sure you you know how to best manage your sort of emotions and your thoughts and everything else that's going on inside I was going to ask and I've asked this to a few guests who have gone through um let's call it the 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 mindset rut um what is the advice you can give to someone female or male someone's going through it right now how can I identify it and how can I get through it I'd say speak to someone and if that isn't your immediate family or a friend because you know they're too close to you and you just feel like they don't understand actually there's lots of people that that, that are there to help Mm. um and even if you're doing it with a bit of an eye roll at least it's one small step in the right direction yeah because it's like all those small little bits even if it is with half-hearted energy or like not even any energy but you're just doing it for the sake of going through the motions like eventually it will just click um, and that will really help good stuff so going back to the fighting a question i ask every fighter but you are slightly different because you've got multi, you're a multi-skilled fighter so most of the people i've spoken to bar um bar uh roxana because she was obviously a tie yeah. fighter what makes a great fighter what makes a great fighter i'd say resilience is definitely up there you know you have to go through so much sometimes people only see you on your highs but actually there's an incredible amount of lows even in just a day you know you can turn up and have the best like pad session and then say maybe the next day you go in and you're tired you haven't recovered properly or someone that you usually beat inspiring all the time has now got the better of you you know it's such a it's such a roller coaster to to have that resilience is really important um and the dedication because I think a lot of the time everyone just expects to see results overnight but actually when you get to know the person and you know all the people that are in the limelight and excelling when you actually speak to them and you hear how much you know sweat blood tears hours they've put in over many many years and actually it's just like overnight because of all of that work they've done previously for so long that's Mm. what actually you know makes them stand out and is the difference you know it's that accumulated effort it's not just they did this one spectacular thing and they went from nothing to something great Mm. you know so I think that's really important um and belief I'd say you know it's important to have the belief in yourself even if those around you don't always or you know especially I think sometimes it's not even those around you in the gym because like you know you end up being quite well supported within a gym it's that family environment but especially from like your close friends and family sometimes because they love you so much and they care for you so much you know they'll swear you to be like oh maybe not like don't do that maybe you know maybe those fights are too close or are you sure you're ready for the challenge and you know you know that they care for you but because you have that extra additional emotional attachment to them you can take their their views on that little bit more yeah so just having that belief in yourself that what you're doing is right um and that you can do it, I think is really important as well. As far as the, and I love and I resonate with what you're saying there, 
the mindset stuff, because I think that stuff right there, going back to the advice I would give my son, learn boxing, it's not just about the actual craft itself and the fitness, but it's about the emotional and the mindset characteristics that you can take and take to any part of your life. And I would love him to be in business for himself. He can obviously choose what he wants to do, but I'm in business and I think it's a great place to be. And I think that that boxing mindset helps you in business. I'll give you an example, actually. When we first started the brand in 2014, yeah. there was no recession. There was COVID. There was no COVID-19. Uh, four years previously, six years previously, before we started the brand, there was the banking crisis. And then obviously last year we hit 2020 when COVID-19 came out. And obviously there was lockdowns and there was measures put in place and <clears throat> it was a quite an uncertain place and when things are going well it's like being in, in the rounds and the fight's going your way sure yeah. there might be a few punches thrown at you and you're blocking it getting out of the way um and you're and you're riding you're going through the first two or three rounds and it's quite easy but suddenly the the fight takes a turn and the tide takes a turn and now you're being attached and you're feeling a bit fatigued and that's a bit like the recession kicking in. That's when you're up against the ropes and you're weathering the shots and you're thinking, how am I going to get out of this? And I think it's those people that stay cool and calm and without being frantic and without losing the shit, basically, and just knowing that the bad time will pass and your time will come again and just waiting for that moment and then you can turn it on its head and you can actually use that force as a positive rather than yeah. a neg negative. And last year was a bit like that. And thankfully, this business, we had our, one of our best ever years because we actually used COVID-19, the pending looming recession, and also the lockdown as a plus rather than a negative. We, we, we span it, and our, our clients benefited from it uh, really well. And I would say part of that was experiencing business, but the other part of it was learning it from boxing, you know, the, yeah. learn that, that combat mindset. So you've already covered that, which is wicked. Now let's talk about the, the physical traits. So like, I know, power, strength over speed. I mean, which one would you choose, speed or power? I'd choose speed. Yeah? Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> just because that's what will catch, for me, it's just what catches you off guard. Um, and having inspired lots of different people, that, you know, the power shots, you sort of know that they're there, but you can also predict them slightly better because they don't <clears throat> tend to be as fast. So even if you're sort of just bracing yourself to cover up and take the shot, you know, you're so much more prepared for it. And I think the ones that catch you off guard are the ones that are, in a way, the most dangerous. Yeah. So having that speed element, you know, it it might not even be a hard shot, but it just makes you think like, was that a jab or was it a cross? You know, it just makes you think. And it's like that, that moment's thought, which is almost like an opportunity for your opponent. Yeah. And, and and with you because you've 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 learned different skills in combat. You're obviously going into boxing now. You've got different styles and stuff. What would you say has made you physically the fighter you are? I mean, is it the certain sparring you've done? Is it the power weight training? Is it the running? Is it the hill sprints? Is it the I don't know you know another type of training? What for you? What 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 do you what would you say makes you the physical fighter that you are today? For me, I'd say it's pad work. Having done a lot of sort of the other different disciplines, running doesn't tend to 
come into this fight schedule as much just because you've got shin blocks you've got kicking so a lot of the time your feet or ankles or legs are just bruised to bits that it actually makes it quite difficult to have like a a, a running schedule that you stick to just because you know your shins are sort of bruised all the time um but always having really good pad work um I think has brought me to where I am today and then when I say in that style like I'm sort of dropping back to sort of the Thai boxing kickboxing where you know you'd be doing a combination and you know the pad holder would be sort of throwing shots back to keep you a bit more switched on and reactive but I mean I'm interested to see sort of where the boxing journey takes me and you know how it changes me as a fighter um because yeah it's it's all very new still Mm. I've, I've got to say um again I've said repeated this a few times my my favorite session is sparring and even though it's the one that's full of risk you know like myself and Maria were saying before, I, I was on a podcast with a guy in LA called Risk, who's an artist. I literally had, I think it was him anyway, or it might have been someone else. I literally had a proper split lip from, oh, no. and I felt like an idiot, but I had to carry on with the with the podcast. But the thing with it is, even when you get hit and you actually hit back and you're up and close and the, and the body weight and and then there's there's like really intense moments and there's really relaxed moments. I come out and it feels like a full body workout. I've got the same pump as if I was doing weights. I've got a feel good factor where I've <clears throat> got out of way of a shot, blocked a shot, and and, re- and responded and, and connected with someone. And even when I actually get done over sometimes and I actually get slightly beaten up, I still come out of there feeling really really good. Yeah. I don't know. I get this sudden endorphin like rush and dump, and it's I feel great like. The, the the day later on is just the best I've ever, ever had. And I don't really get that when I'm doing circuits. I don't really get that when I do running. I definitely don't really oh, get that when I, when I do weights. I just go through the motions kind of on them. But the sparring is a different kettle of fish altogether. I don't know if you get the same sort of feeling. Yeah, definitely. I get that with any martial art training class, to be fair. And I think that's just what always brings me back. And like for me, one of the hardest things to do is actually just have a rest day. Yeah. You know, that's just for me the hardest thing just because I just constantly want to be learning. And, you know, it's almost that chase for perfection that, you know, you can't ever be perfect. And there's just always so much to work on and to Mm. continue to perfect and strive towards that just it's that what brings me back every single time. Yeah. Um, Outside of uh, sport, then, um, is it are you have you got are you what have you got a career? Are you working working in an organisation? Have you got your own organisation? What else do you do outside of so fighting? Outside of fighting, yeah, I um, work full time for HSBC as a project manager. Really? Yes. <laughs> and what's the conversation? <laughs> okay, what's the conversation there when when the people in the, in that banking environment say to you, "What you're a fighter?" And I just be like, "What do you need done?" <laughs> <laughs> As you want me to go sort out. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> do you want me to go and click the debt then for HSBC? <laughs> Um, But no, uh, you know what, HSBC have been great, especially with the flexibility to sort of be able to train around, you know, whatever the training schedule is, that's sort of how HSBC works around. So as long as I do the job and get that done, that's sort of the most important thing. So it's great to have that. And in a way, I just see it as I sponsor myself in a way, you know, it pays the bills, I enjoy it. Um, It's not my passion 
martial arts is 100% my passion. But actually, if it sponsors me and allows me to sort of live from the martial arts professional life and, you know, helps equip me in the best possible way, I just think, you know, if no one else has sponsored me, like, I'll definitely sponsor myself. Like, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, it's good. Um, but when you become champion world champion as, as as a fighter as a boxer are you gonna have to turn around to hsbc and say thanks for letting me work there but i'm gonna be banking somewhere else now <laughs> <laughs> potentially i don't know um for me i like actually having the split between okay being you know doing martial arts being in a combat setting so then actually just having to be very switched on mentally and sort of that problem solving ability in a way, I feel like it actually helps support boxing yeah. in a sense because it's like problem solving when things don't go wrong. Okay, how can we pull it apart, look at it differently, try and come up with an approach. Um, so I feel that part of the problem solving is almost the same problem solving when you're in a ring in a sense. You know, like, oh, that hasn't worked. I keep trying that shot. I can see an opening. Like, why can't I get there? Mm. And it's sort of having that additional you know, almost flexibility of the mind in a sense. Yeah. I, I noticed you're uh, uh, sponsored by uh, wow, wow Hydrate, yeah. which is really, really cool. I mean, they're a massive water brand now, which actually they, they sponsor Matchroom, I think, Conor Ben, Tyson Fury. I yeah. think I think a bunch of great athletes out there. How did that come about? Uh, so that was sorted out by my manager, actually. Really? Yeah, so that was really quite quick. And he was just like, Nick, I've got some good news. Like, wow, Hydrate is sponsoring you. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, this is incredible. Um, and it just came out through there. But it, you know what? That, I think that was probably the thing I've noticed the most moving over into boxing um, is that people are far more prepared to sponsor <clears throat> you as a fighter because I feel like I messaged every, every company, every, like, Bill, Bob, Harry, when I was doing Taekwondo, kickboxing, Muay Thai, and it was so hard to, to get a genuine sponsor. But actually the transition over into boxing, you know, because it's a platform that people are aware of and, you know, uh, there's a lot more eyes on boxing than there are in the other martial arts. Mm. That part of it has been a lot easier. Mm. I can see that. I can see that because, I mean, in a way, and again, I've got a very limited knowledge about the other sports as far as the commercial side of it, but boxing and female boxing has really taken, you know, different levels over the last few years. Yeah. Again, all these great athletes coming through on both sides. I think more and more sponsors are seeing it as a great way of getting their brand out there and, and also monetizing off the back end of it. And the, and the fighters actually benefit from it uh, 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 as well. Um, so let's just narrow this down then. So you're 27. Yes. You're going into pro boxing now. Have you got your license? I do. Yeah? Yes. Cool. When is your first fight? Five weeks. Five weeks time. Where is it going to be? In Essex. Yeah. Cool. And who show? Victor Smiths. Victor Smiths. Okay. And have you got ambitions to maybe get to like the Frank Warrens or Eddie Hearns? Eventually, yeah. But at the moment, it's sort of like small steps. <laughs> Focus on the current goal. Focus on the first fight and sort of build from there. But yeah, the ambition's always, I think as I said before, for, for every athlete who starts the journey competitively is to get a world title. How many years do you think it's going to take you to become world champion? Oh, I don't know. 
hopefully before I'm like 32. <laughs> I feel like you could do it before you're 30. Well, we'll see. In three years' time. We'll see. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. Outside of boxing then, let's say you become a world t- uh, champion, multiple world champion. You might even go up or down the weight and also win their, their world titles. After that's all said and done, let's call it, I know, you sound like to me someone's going to fight until you're like really ripe, ripe old age. Cause you're In a wheelchair. Like, yeah, yeah, you're still <laughs> fighting. Um, but let's say you're 35, between 35 and 40, okay? And you think, all right, I want to hang up my gloves now. Where do you see the Burmese python going after that? Hopefully into screen combat and doing martial arts. Films. In, yeah. Amazing. So I actually, <laughs> I ironically did um, a screen combat course over the weekend. So it was with the British Action Academy and they sort of teach you how to do combat, not just unarmed without weapons, so punches, kicks, knees, but actually how to start using weapons in them as well. Um because as you say, like that's, a, that's the thought that's in my mind is that I always want to have martial arts in my life in some capacity. Totally appreciate that I might not be able to do that up until retirement. Um, what's another avenue that I could explore where I could still get to use my martial arts skill and still have that interest and be able to learn, but not with that same pressure? Yeah. Um, and yeah, screen combat, film, commercials, I've done... Travel, to, travel yeah. the world. Well, well, I'm not so much into traveling as much. I think for me, it's just I travel the world to do like a martial arts tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be quite fun and go to each different country and, you know, embody, you know, their home martial art, whatever that may be. Um, but yeah, that's what I see the future holding. Because part of the reason why I was going to ask you that is... Uh, Bar the fighting and, and the sport and the, being an athlete, and then obviously your current career with HSBC, what do you actually do like as a slight second hobby? Or what, what do you do in downtime? What, 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 what do you get up to? I just like trying new hobbies and activities. So there wasn't anything that I specifically go to. Um, but whether that be doing a day trip to do windsurfing or getting a qualification... Um, yeah I get quite hooked up on getting like certificates and qualifications it just feels like I've kind of mastered something um so if I, I go around your house <laughs> is it full of certificates everywhere you'll be like when when will you need to know how to yeah. drive a speedboat yeah. but I'll be like yeah I'll do the qualification why not <laughs> I've also got a certificate I'll put this kitchen together hold up <laughs> put this roof on um but at least it just gives me like a start and a finish point uh, and like with the screen combat that I did at the weekend, again, that was a course, you get a qualification at the end. Um, but it just feels that, you know, I get to learn a completely new skill set. It's still physical. So it ticks that box. But actually, I don't have to dedicate my whole life to it. And it's just sort of the variety of keeping keeping things interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, have you got a bit of ICD there? Maybe. I even tried, what did I do last year? I did, it was... Um, like hoverboarding in the water so you have like jets on your feet and you have to try and hold yourself up and they sort of shoot you up in the air didn't get that qualification I wasn't that good but I mean it was great fun (laughs) I was gonna ask you the question like what gets you like really excited or makes you really happy I'm guessing that's going to be the fighting and the trailing and learning new things okay I want to ask you another question because you see you you're so upbeat what pisses you off what annoys me you know what this is silly 
Someone who's burnt toast in the morning. I hate that. I just, I think like you've just slept. How's the first thing you've done a mistake? Like you should go back to bed. Yeah, you've ruined <laughs> the day. I hate waking up to the smell of burnt toast. Yeah, you've ruined your day. You've ruined mine. Go back to bed. <laughs> Literally, I just, yeah, that's, just think that I don't want to okay, start my day like that. Quick this. question. If you burn the toast, do you fry it away or do you scrape it off? Oh, I scrape it. <sighs> you disgust me. I just uh, can't waste. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, you bye. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, I liked you up until that point. No, I'm joking. Um, look, it's been really, really fantastic speaking to you and I've, I've loved hear, hearing the successes and also the challenges you've gone through. I really, really respect that uh, from, from you and I think a lot of people can learn from that. Where can people find you if they wanted to track what you're doing? Yeah, no, so absolutely. You can follow my journey on Instagram and Facebook at the Burmese Python. It's literally just at the dot Burmese Python. Cool. I didn't ask you actually, why are you called the Burmese Python? Oh, so my mum's from Burma. Um, it's not that you strangle loads of people. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> not it. <laughs> yeah, so my mum's from Burma and I just love the fact that she's so, she's almost just been my role model for life. Um, came over to the UK, worked incredibly hard, you know, provided for the whole family when my granddad was really poorly. So to be able not to represent my mum, but everything that she's been through and the people in Burma who are just so sort of humble and resilient, it just has so much more meaning to me. So to do mum and sort of my heritage and the people of Burma proud too is really important. And then the Python, that sort of depicts my fight style in terms of like aggressive and fearless. So I'll go and do a bare knuckle boxing fight um, and yeah, ready to take on any challenge. Amazing stuff. Last question. I've got a catchphrase, a mantra, a lifestyle quote that I try and stick by, which goes like this. Be happy, never content. If I were to ask the Burmese Python, what does be happy, never content mean to you? It means enjoy every moment, enjoy your life, but don't get too comfortable um, that you're not able to adapt to change and that you know, you're not pushing yourself to be the best person that you can be. What does it mean to you? Uh, well, it means to me, um, being the moment, being happy isn't actually all about happiness. Even when you are faced with challenges and you feel the fear, it's okay to feel the fear, but just don't live there. There's always a silver lining with every single problem and every single challenge. But a lot of the time you can feel happy with what you've got and your achievements but don't be content. The moment you're content, I feel that you're welcoming problems. And I think you're, I know it's going to sound brutal and a bit kind of harsh and a bit over-exaggerated, but when you're content, you kind of welcome death. You welcome the end. I just yeah. feel, feel like if you are not content and you keep an evolving, but still thankful for what you've achieved, I feel that gives you a bit of a balanced kind of um, position in life. You know, you can go on to achieve really good stuff. And that's, oh, and that's, 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 that's my take. Right. Uh, if you're listening to this, please follow Nicola. Um, her fight's coming up soon. So best of luck with that. I'm going to be rooting for you. I'm looking forward to seeing you, you know, with some of the big names out there and um, achieving some wonderful things and no doubt being a world champion. And for the viewers, if you're enjoying this, please, like I say all the time, uh, recommend this podcast to your friends and family. Contact us here at Woodbury House if you want to know a bit more about what we do here. And always remember to be happy, never content. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.